And welcome back to thedistalfrauds.com, movies and television podcast. As always, I'm dead. We got Cave here. Do we? Do we really? Do you ever really get me, dead man? I didn't say anything about getting you. I said we have you. Oh, I heard got Cave here. I might have said we've got. I might have said we have Cave here. I don't. I don't know. That was like that was like thirty seconds ago. How do you expect me to remember that? <laughs> I don't, so I can really tell you that you said anything, and you just don't know. <clears throat> Al, you gaslight motherfucker. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. So here, let's talk about movies and stuff. This is the point we're at now. Yeah. I just want to point out to anyone... Who pretends to enjoy listening to us? <laughs> no one pretends we're, to we're enjoy listening to us. They, ac- they accidentally click on us and then go, oh, wait, I meant to do something else. Anything else, really. Yeah, trust me. I've been looking at our Spotify numbers. Thanks to you guys who accidentally click on us and decide to stay on the channel. <laughs> yep, you can also find us on anywhere else podcasts are available. Including a bunch of places I've never heard of. Because yeah, there are just there are just websites out there that just troll RSS feeds. Are you a podcast? No. Are you a podcast? No. Are you a podcast? Archive. Ah, but that's still somehow this makes us money. Well, since we aren't hosting anything, we just get people coming, and then when they come here, they see ads. Because the internet's weird. Yeah. And it's real weird. Speaking of weird, uh, I... I'll start, because fuck it, why not? Uh, I, well, you said you didn't want to just stream talk last time, so... Yeah, because we... Oh, by the way, this isn't the first time we failed to record this. Nope, nope, we tried... We've tried. So Kingsman. I recently rewatched the first one and also watched the first time the second one. Those movies are good. They're just really good movies. Like that first one, it is still... The first one, I think, is a bit better than the second one because with the second one, they tried to go bigger. They tried to, like, recapture some of the magic that they had in the first one with, like, that fucking, uh, with, like, the church scene. Yeah, that scene was fucking awesome. Yeah, it was. And then anybody trying to, like, then, like trying to top that. I don't even know if they, I don't even know if they attempted to try to top that or they just, start, like, started going way more fucking ridiculous. Like, at one point in this fucking movie, um, Colin Firth throws a fucking, like, weird grenade out a window, and it explodes, and then we come outside and see every bad guy who was shooting at them trapped in a weird, like, blue, like, blue lacquer fucking explosion. 
That sounds awesome. Also, there's technology in this movie um, that can make that can help people survive headshots and bring them back from technically the dead. Oh, that sounds less awesome. That sounds like death doesn't matter. Uh, no, it does. Like, it, like the, the technology they specifically said is like, hey, if we get there soon enough, we can stop a headshot from killing you. But if you put them in, say, a hamburger grinder. Death doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> Though arguably um, the same thing is true of the um, the Marvel Universe. Because fucking, um, what's his name? Secret Agent Man. There are a few. The most boring, interesting Secret Agent Man in the world. There are the a few. The one who dies. The one who dies in the first movie. Coulson? Yes. Like, they raise him from the dead, so arguably, like, death doesn't really matter in the Marvel Universe either, because they can just bring people back from the dead. So then you get a whole season about how you go crazy. Yeah, and like, I don't know, man. Arguably, fucking, arguably, death doesn't matter in the Marvel Universe because... Things like the Infinity Stones have ever existed. Yeah, well, it's not. At least it's not as bad as the DC universe. <laughs> yeah, trust. Hey, weren't you dead? Yeah, I got better. Trust is an actual line from a DC comic book. Yeah, I know. And trust me, I'll get to that. Because boy, like, have you seen? Uh, well, we'll talk about the trailers later on. Yeah. But we have to talk about how bad the Wonder Woman trailer is. So anyway, yeah, Kingsman 2, um, the whole plot of Kingsman 2 is that the Golden Circle, as per the subtitle, is a drug syndicate run by Julianne Moore, who's playing like a 1950s aesthetic obsessed uh, Martha Stewart, but who sells crack. Okay, so like Martha Stewart? Yeah, she has like a... uh, she has a like compound deep in the fucking middle of a jungle where there's no extradition. And she's essentially tried to build this little slice of like 1950s Americana down there. Her main office is inside of a like old school style diner. The kind with like the white and black checkerboard floor with the massive open space directly in front of it for the dance floor. Like the booths and the, like the booths and the tables, and everything are all like are all like off to the side, curved along the walls. There's a little like bar up along the uh, all up along the front where they like cook, where they, you can like watch them cook the burgers and stuff. And there's also and then there's just a massive jukebox in the corner that people that then you know they can dance to fucking Buddy Holly or whatever. I don't know about the fifties. I was thinking the thirties, entirely different decade, but. Yeah, that's her whole thing. She's been like out there pushing drugs. Um and she ends up actually actually um pretty much destroying the Kingsman. Like by the end of it, there are literally two of them left. Well, wasn't that the case in the last movie? Not really, because um because with the last movie, um, like yeah, all of, like yeah, all the Kingsmen, like the head, like the head Kingsmen, like Arthur and them, 
Uh, they fucking exploded because they were part of Valentine's plan. But that was just the people in charge. Like they were still, they were still like the rest of the people. Okay. No, no. In the in the uh, third one, not not the third one. In the first one, all we had was tech guy who could have watched Eggsy get it on. Eggsy, girl spy, and Colin Firth. Right? I'm not misremembering that. Right? Uh, I don't like. There were still people like involved, and out there, other doing other missions and stuff, and. Though there was also the training, which, which with the training, it is specifically a a current Kingsman agent promotes someone like like picks someone and goes, "Hey, you're getting involved in this." So every one of those, every one of those students, like every one of those kids, or I guess not kids, every one of those people trying to be the new Lancelot was nominated by a Kingsman agent. Yeah, but I thought specifically, um, uh, uh, lisping Samuel L. Jackson killed off a bunch of like a bunch, if not all, of the Kingsmen first. He killed off. He killed off like two. I need to rewatch the Kingsmen. Yeah, like the Kingsmen, they, the Kingsmen were there and out there doing other like world saving shit. In this one, they specifically blow up, like the Kingsmen store, the Kingsmen mansion where they did the training. Yeah, but I thought the reason Eggsy had to be the one to save the day is because there were no other Kingsmen left. Was it just that he was the one, only one who realized what was going on? Which sounds unbelievable, since the head of their tech department was helping Eggsy. Uh, I think it was more that, like, the the agency knew it was going on, but Eggsy had to do it because it was personal. I need to rewatch that movie. Yeah, I know that there were other Kingsmen. But yeah, in this one, the Kingsman organization is destroyed, and so and so Eggsy and Merlin have to go have to like they, they enact like the fucking doomsday protocols or whatever, which ends up sending them off to Kansas. Where they meet the Statesman, which is the American equivalent of the Kingsman. And much like the Kingsman, they have their own, like they have their own like very, very like country focused tech. Um, they like they all wear like denim jackets, jeans, rank like Wrangler jeans, boots with massive belt buckles. Uh, the belt buckles themselves have a small little uh thing of like whiskey in it. Oh, no, it might have been Kentucky. That yeah, I went to Kentucky because it was Kentucky whiskey. Kentucky whiskey is sold all throughout the country. <laughs> yes, but it's but they made it in Kentucky. Oh, then, yeah. Yeah. They're spilling this Kentucky whiskey out in New York. That'd be funny. But no, yeah, then they also... Actually... I I will fucking... I will will walk to New Orleans. (laughs) Hey, then we can finally play Magic together. (laughs) After kicking the balls. Just roll, just roll dice to see which one goes first, and, and I just boot you. In. But anyway, then you try to hurt me. I just stand there laughing, and then we play Magic the Gathering. Sounds like a plan. <sighs> I 
Anyway, yeah, so the, so the statesman, uh, they say in the movie, the statesman, um, whereas the Kingsmen started as tailors, the statesmen started as bootleggers. And they made infinity dollars in the fucking booze industry and then start up their own fucking independent spy agency. Rum runners, moonshiners, bootleggers, we got them all. Yeah, and all of their uh, agents are codenamed after alcohol. Oh, I want to work for this organization. Yep, I'll be rum. And it's run, and it is run by the, and it's run by Jeff Bridges. I'll be spiced rum. That's what I'll be. <laughs> yeah, they also have their. They also have a Merlin equivalent in Halle Berry, who dresses the exact same as Merlin. Which I guess implies that every independent spy organization dresses their tech head the exact same. Maybe it's the tech head fashion sense. Like maybe they have a site where they're all like, "Hey, let's fuck with them and all dress the same." Yeah, they they, they, or, right. they order. Who's tech, getting to pick they, this year? They order tech head fashion quarterly. Yeah, who gets to pick the fashion this year? Ooh, let's go with the Steve Jobs look. That'll really fuck with them. They'll all think we're forcing them to use Apple products. Yeah, but here's the weird thing, like. Statesman and the Kingsman, they don't know each other exist. Then they're not very good spy organizations. Or they're very good spy organizations. Like, they're so good that another organization of equivalent level can't find out about them. Yeah, I don't know, man. Oh, yeah, so then the whole thing is just, like, they, um, the Golden Circle, they have, like, been sending out drugs to every corner of the world, and those drugs are full of poison, and now everyone's gonna, now everyone's gonna fucking die unless the, unless the United States government ends the war on drugs and legalizes all drugs. So who's the bad guy? There are a couple. Yeah, yeah, but, like, I, I mean, we all know that the war on drugs is kind of a massively bad idea. Oh, I'm fully aware of this at this point, but let me just say this of all the characters I've mentioned. None of them are the main bad guy at the end. Cause there's a twist. Okay. Which I don't want to get into because I do want you to see the movie. Cause I think it's good. And God damn it. Ah, fine. I'll watch the movie. Fucking air pressure in my goddamn room keeps opening my fucking door. This happened last time, too. While you close your door, I stare at my cat, who can't decide whether she wants to be in this room or the other room. She keeps going back and forth. But yeah, with all of this, I am very curious to see how the prequel works out. Because, I don't know, it feels like a step backwards, but it's got the same director. It's got a solid writer. It's got a really solid cast. Like just from the poster alone, like I saw, like Ray Fiennes, Jimon Honsu. Ah, fuck yeah! It it looks interesting, and I want to see how it turns out. Unfortunately, it's not coming out for another year, so I guess we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, the Kingsman have been a surprisingly solid film franchise. Which really 
I did not expect it to be. I did not expect something based off of a fucking Mark Millar comic series to turn out to be like actually just really fun. In in all honesty, when I first when I first saw trailers for the Kingsman, I expected to despise Eggsy. Because he's everything I normally hate in a character. And then they made him lovable. (laughs) (laughs) So that's when I knew that the franchise was going to be alright by me. A little bit of the old ultra-violence can go awry, but... Yeah, he's... They they, they did it well in the first one. You know, the ultra-violence, they did it well in the first one. Yeah, and I think they I think it was all right in the second one too. Um again, it was just a matter of like they just kept amping things up more and more. So I'm just wondering where do they go from here? Cuz like the prequel it feels like a step back. Or like I it kind of like it, it, it has to feel like a step back cuz it's a fucking prequel. Mhm. But it's going to be weird seeing where they go from there. And the statesmen I also just learned are getting a fucking spinoff. So that's going to be neat. And also, apparently... Egg- I You know one thing that I really want? Yes? I want one of these to become a TV series. Like, we don't have a good spy show on right now. I'm... I want one of these to become a spy TV series. Like, just deal with the randomest shit from week to week. Like, back in the 80s, when we had G.I. Joe versus Cobra, and, like, one week they'd be selling cookies, and the next they'd be stopping global warming or some shit like that. <laughs> I think you're thinking of Captain Planet. Whatever. <laughs> but that's one thing I miss about 80s television. The random-ass shit episodes. And they weren't good episodes, but you remember them. Because, like, the previous week, you'd have a three-parter about the death of Optimus Prime, and then suddenly they'd be talking about how you have to save your electricity or something, sh- some shit like that. Ugh. Yeah, just, just like a very, very somber episode dealing with, like, a very intense topic. And then and the, the very next week... Oh no, Optimus! I'm I'm late for my math test. What am I gonna do? Yeah, and I want I want some of that back, because in many ways that random ass shit they had to deal with was very humanizing. Yeah, and because because life isn't one exciting moment to the next. We've got to go and fight the evil monsters, and then we've got to do this, and then we've got to do that. It's not every day that you have to take a math exam and fight evil trolls on the same day. But, (laughs) it's like, yeah, some of those episodes were shit, but they were also realistic, and they they gave it a feeling that you don't get in a lot of modern television anymore. I want to see my super spy using his amazing spy skills to try to buy his son a toy for Christmas. Yes! Actually, yes! I want to see fucking Turbo Man! Like, <laughs> like they're having to fight over the Turbo Man doll. Shit like that. That would be awesome. Yeah, let's get Jingle all the way, but make it, you know, watchable. Yay! I like Jingle all the way. You can go fuck yourself. <laughs> 
Put the cookie down. Put I grew up down. watching that movie, man. I like the song Put the Cookie Down. Yeah, because that it, remix is great. Oh, no, <laughs> that no, no not, not a remix. I don't like a lot of that kind of shit, but this is, that this, remix This isn't is a remix. Tell me, my friend, have the you ever heard of Austrian Death Machine? I have not. Austrian okay. Death Machine is a band that makes all of their songs based off of quotes from Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. And they are a heavy metal band. I will look that up after the recording. Yes, uh, they have released three full albums. I think the second album had like half covers, but they were covers like doing the same style. That also had Arnold Schwarzenegger speaking some of the lyrics. Uh, and the guy who built this whole project is, I believe, currently in jail for trying to hire a hitman to kill his ex-wife. Uh. <laughs> uh. Welcome to the show. We're going to introduce you to something cool and then tell you that the person who made it was terrible. Yep. Actually, I guess welcome, welcome to entertainment. Welcome to the real world. <laughs> yeah. Oh, speaking of terrible people, I tried rewatching Waiting. Waiting was a movie that came out in like the early aughts. Um, I don't know what this is. Yeah, it was a movie movie that came out in like the early aughts, um, starring Ryan Reynolds, and it was. In that vein of like the gross out comedies of that era, like the very juvenile gross out comedies in the vein of like a like American Pie or Road Trip or something. The kind of shit I expected Exit to get up to. Yeah. Where like the entire movie is. Wait, was this the one where he was waiting until marriage or something like that? No, this is the one where everyone worked at a restaurant. Yes, I do remember that movie. Like there was there were constant jokes about uh Goatsing people or something like that, where you pull your pants down and show off your ass and your balls or something like that. Yes, there is a running there's a running gag in this movie where the where the people in the restaurant they play this game essentially where they try to get people to unknowingly look at their dicks, and then when they do so, they call them a slur and then kick them in the balls. Because this movie did not age well. This is very much an early 2000s movie. One of the first things out of someone's mouth is a slur against gay people. Why did you watch this? Because I I remember I watched this in middle school. Which I think was the appropriate age to in, to get any kind of enjoyment out of this movie. See, I watched it in high school and was like, what the fuck is this garbage? Only leaving it on because it was that or the news. Yes, that's why I say middle school, because with middle school, you are still you are still so you are still you're still so like fucking the idea of swearing is still so novel to you in middle school. That's true. That somebody going out and just saying fuck, fuck, fuck would be the most hilarious shit. Because like, he said a word I am not allowed to say a lot. Ha 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 ha. The freedom. Whereas once you get in high school, you're fucking cussing up a storm. 
So someone saying fuck, you eventually learn that most of them are saying fuck improperly. Uh, yeah, I I couldn't even fucking finish it. Yeah, it's a terrible movie. It is a god-awful fucking movie. I am depressed that I eventually figured out what you were talking about. Yeah, fucking Dane Cook's in that movie. Because that means it's stuck somewhere back there in my mind palace, just waiting on a shelf for me to be bored enough one day to pull it off and rewatch that movie in my head. Yeah, like, I... Dane Cook was in that movie. Andy Milanakis was in that movie. Uh, Luis Guzman was in that movie. There were, there were a lot of good actors in that movie. Yeah. Like, there was a period when all, like, like there, was, there was a bunch of great actors just doing horse shit. Yeah, and... Ryan Reynolds played. We grew up in it. Yeah, and like Ryan Reynolds, he played a statutory rapist. Like it was played off as a yeah, joke. Ryan Reynolds was in a lot of shit too. Yeah, it was. It was specifically like he was in Van Wilder, and then everyone was like, "Hey, Van Wilder, do your Van Wilder thing in this movie." And he was like, "I'm getting paid." I remember uh, what was the name of that movie. I feel like it was Ryan, a Ryan Reynolds movie where, uh, like, he was in college and his dad pulled the funding and, like, then he had to throw parties to be able to continue going to college where he eventually got a general studies degree. Van Wilder. Or something. That was Van Wilder? Okay, I did not remember the name. Yeah, Van Wilder. He was, yeah, he was a, Van Wilder was a legendary figure on campus who had been in school for, I think, seven years. No, it was longer than that. I don't I don't remember the exact specifics, but the idea of it is that yeah, Van Wilder, he he was going to school, his parents were paying for him to go to school, and all he was doing was partying and not going to class, and his dad was like, yo, graduate. And he's like, but I don't wanna. And like Cal Penn was in it as like a guy who was just a couple of steps. He was a couple of lateral steps away from Apu. I don't fucking know, man. I think Tara Reid was in it. She was. She was. And she was the fuck interest. Yeah, she was. She was the fuck interest, and she was like dating one of the guys at like one of the fucking frats. And to prank them, they made a bunch of eclairs and used them to masturbate a dog. I do not remember this movie very well, and I'm glad I don't. It's a bad movie. It's 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 not a very good movie. Like all, all these movies are very much just of their time, and of their time was terrible. But yeah, I just want—I kind of just wanted to rewatch it just to see if it was, just to see what the fuck it was anymore. Because I forgot so much about that movie, but it kept coming up in my brain. Just every once in a while, just something would pop up, and I'd be like, "Oh, that was, oh, 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 that was like waiting." I was like, "Okay, what the fuck? How do I, how do I subconsciously remember things from waiting?" Because it wasn't like I was be I would I'd be able to sit down and think and go okay what happened in waiting and be, be able to give you like a even somewhat intelligible beat by beat of that fucking movie I remember nothing about that movie 
I have trained myself to be able to rewatch movies in my head. I can rewatch all of Scooby Doo in my head. Um, and sadly, Waiting is one of those movies that got cataloged in the back there. And I know this because it has been playing while we were talking. <laughs> And there is exactly one thing I like about that movie. The fact that it makes a point of saying, hey, we live off of your tips. A 67 tip, do, cent tip on a $70 bill is not enough. <laughs> and, like, he makes a point of hounding those customers and giving them back their tip. Because, yeah, people, waitresses and waiters in America have gotten a really raw deal as far as tipping goes. They have to get tips to survive. So long as they didn't shit in your food, give them the 20% they deserve. Because you wouldn't notice if the prices were actually raised to give them fair pay. This has been tested. Sorry, it's just a little thing that bothers me in the real world. What a great time to say, I don't really tip because I can't afford to. Yeah, you can't afford to. There are rich ass people who don't tip because the serving staff should be paid a fair wage, except in most restaurants, they fucking aren't. So until that changes in America, tip. This is at the rich people, the people who can't afford to tip. Like, I have two rules as far as that's uh, concerned. One, if you're not an asshole, you can get by. Two, if you're, if, you're, if you're an asshole and can't afford to tip, don't go to a restaurant. Like, either be polite or tip. The fact that this is a problem that people have such strong opinions about, things need to happen. Just literally anything to change this. Mm -hmm. But the restaurant industry doesn't want to lose that extra money that they don't have to pay their staff. But aren't... Oh, whatever. This shit is all dumb. Mm -hmm. Let's move on to something slightly more pleasant. Yes, Did you let's. see anything else that might be slightly more pleasant? Rise of the Guardians. Uh, is that the uh, Christmas one? That is the holiday-themed superhero movie. Yeah, that movie's awesome. I love that movie. That movie is really Santa good. I in that. All of my Santas have Russian accents now because of that movie. <laughs> Not even kidding. Like, after that movie, anytime I'd run a holiday-themed campaign, you know, in Soviet Russia, Santa still gives presents to uh, poor uh, little boys and girls because they need it. Yeah, so for those who haven't ever heard of this movie, it came out in 2012. It's seven years old. And it's still good. Yeah, uh, it is. Yeah, it's a movie about. Um, so figures, figureheads of of like uh, ideas and holidays and stuff. They exist. And some of them, like they're all made by the man in the moon. Well, they're all granted power by man in the moon. Yeah. Like, it's not certain whether or not they're all made by him. What I meant by that was the man in the moon gave them their powers, thus making them super people. Based on. Yeah, but what I what I what I was saying is we, we know that they're named as guardians by the man in the moon. We don't know if they're 
all actually like turned into super people by the man in the movie. Based on what was said in the movie, they were. I don't know if uh, uh, what was his name? Nightmare. Pitch Black. Pitch Black. I don't know if Pitch Black was made by Man in the Moon or whatnot. Because like I don't know. Like it would make sense as to why he's able to steal the Sandman's power. They they all come from the original source, and therefore able to manipulate each other's abilities. Blah blah blah. But anyway, yeah. So this whole, yes, this whole thing. Um, people, ideas, and stuff. They are made and like they they are given power by the Man in the Moon, and certain ones of them are given are given like special purpose. In that they protect children. Like like children, the wonder and belief of children in these things is what gives them their power, gives them their fucking like sense of purpose. And they work to keep that, keep that shit safe. Uh, and all of them have like their own different, all, all of them have like their own different like things that they do and things that like actually, uh and like benefits from Look, this Look, this too. one has little bits of gum still on it. Yeah, like uh, like the tooth fairy, she collects the teeth, but it's not just through collecting teeth. Uh, like the teeth hold childhood memories that can help children, that can help people in later in life, um, as well as as well as just like older children, help them get like a bit of like inspiration and hope just from like recalling good memories from their childhood. And yeah, just a whole bunch of shit like that. Um, the main. F- the main guardians that we follow for the movie are um, North, a.k.a. Santa Claus, a massive tattooed Russian sword-wielding man, uh, the Easter Bunny, a deeply Australian gentleman. Which is awesome. Yeah. He's voiced, <laughs> like, he's voiced by Hugh Jackman. Especially when like he loses power and becomes this tiny, cute, adorable little Yeah, he becomes thing. this tiny bunny, still voiced by Hugh Jackman. At one point, he says Struth, and I couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> I'm probably uh, going to rewatch that because it's the Christmas season. Yeah, then there's uh, the Tooth Fairy, who is a hummingbird-based fairy. And she like, or she's essentially like the, she's essentially like a switchboard operator who's able to like sense when kids lose their teeth and then send out tiny hummingbird fairies to go collect the teeth and leave a quarter. Or mice. Yeah. Or mice for the European division. Just any little critters. Anything that can get in and, uh, and out then there of is, a, uh, a, a house quickly and quietly. Sorry. Shit was cutting out there. What were you saying? I said anything that can get in and out of a house quickly and quietly. Yeah, basically. Which apparently includes six-foot-tall rabbits and Russian people. You know. Uh, And then the Sandman, who just, who is basically a god. He is ridiculously powerful. Sandman is the best character. Just period. Because he's hilarious and horrifyingly deadly. Yeah, he he just has like this cloud of sand that he's able to like generate and follows him around and he can make anything out of it. 
which is actually an item in D&D 3.5, Shape Sand, and is considered the most powerfully broken alchemical item in the game. Because depending on how strictly you interpret the rules, it can either vaguely become anything and is still made of sand, or it literally becomes anything. And I genuinely think Sandman literally becomes anything he wants. Because some of the shit he makes seems to have true sentience. Yeah, well, it is. Well, they are still made of sand. He's able to basically kind of make life, like sand life. And yeah, so those are kind of our central four. And then our actual main character is Jack Frost. He he's the one that kind of introduces us to the idea of these beings. Um, he is the one who kind of introduces us to the concept of guardians and how all that works and. He is our main focal point for the story. With the story being, the Boogeyman has returned. After centuries and centuries of being defeated back in the Dark Ages, he has returned after finding a way to corrupt the Sandman's dreams and turn them into nightmares. And he wants to... He wants to essentially be physical. Like, all these beings, all these beings, uh, they... They get phys- by being believed in by children, they become more and more tangible and ultimately become physical beings once again. Yeah, they're like Barney. And uh, <laughs> I hate you so much right now, but that's not uh, an inaccurate description. Yeah. So Jack and Pitch, as they call him. Uh, both of them are completely incorporeal right now. They still have their powers and stuff, but no one believes in them enough for them to be seen by anybody. And therefore, Pitch is constantly trying to uh, uh, trying to Darth Vader um, uh, Jack. Like, join me! Everyone hates us already! Let's rule the world as darkness and ice! Yeah, like, he, just, he actually just straight up says... What's a better combination than cold and dark? Though I think, like, one of the main reasons why he starts doing that is because um, Jack shows that he's uh, one of the only people who can actually destroy the sand. Yeah. Because he, like, can freeze it and that removes its power or something like that. Yeah, Pitch is actually one of the most interesting aspects of the movie just because he is a villain who is intimidating Follows through on plans and has those plans work while still being completely vulnerable and believably beatable. Because there are multiple times throughout this movie where, like, Pitch goes through an act of evil plan, gets whooped, and still wins. Because his plan isn't necessarily like, hey, I'm a fucking get got. Like, like one of his things was he tried to, he tried to, like, uh, take away the power of the Tooth Fairy. And he did this by sending an army of nightmare horses to devour and to like capture all of the like the tooth fairy assistants. Thus, when kids woke up, they look under the pillow and just find teeth, no money. People stop believing in the tooth fairy. Mm-hmm. And it works for a while. And, and then he is scary successful. Yeah. And oh yeah, there was like the point where he quote unquote killed Sandman. Yeah, because Shit, he is, that was awesome. Yeah, he is the most scared of Sandman. 
Because Sandman is his literal counterpart. Uh, the Boogeyman and Sandman, Nightmare and uh, Good Dreams, they're supposed to be antithesis. Yeah, I so I think I so I don't think uh Sandman is actually the like I don't think Pitch and Sandman are actually counterparts. I think based on again what has been what was said was that Pitch's whole thing was like darkness and shadow, and then during his time in isolation, he found a way to corrupt dreams. Like nightmares weren't originally part of his powers. Then how did he scare people? Uh, fucking just like dark stories, crawling off, crawling off from underneath your beds, shit like that. Eh. Shit that goes bump in the night. I suppose that's why he never gained a ton of power. But I feel like nightmares should have, like, being able to cause nightmares should, would have always been. Well, no, because he actually says in the movie after, like, he finds, like, he goes into someone's house, sees her dream of a unicorn, touches it, turns it into a nightmare, and then goes, took me a while to figure that trick out. I need to rewatch this movie. Yeah. And it's just a really solid movie. There's a lot of really great character work. Um, it's, it is a really good family movie where like an adult can watch it and get like, you know, enjoyment out of just watching some really good character work and some really good action. And with the kids, it also keeps a very simplistic and childhood message in it of like, of, of like, yeah, like, yeah, fear is, like, kind of fear is inevitable, but it can also be beaten by just, like, having hope. Because that's kind of just the whole thing. Like, they, like the way they beat fucking Pitch is by getting a bunch of kids to have a snowball fight. And, yeah, I just really, I really love this movie. It is not perfect by any stretch, especially in the animation. Because the animation gets... Rough, especially with like the ch- child characters, because with everyone else, they're able to like stylize them or spent enough, spent more way more time like you know actually properly modeling them and making them look like like real things with the art style. Into the child characters, they look fucking terrifying. I I absolutely uh, love the Yetis. And the explanation of the elves in this movie. Like, I think the animation on the Yetis is pretty solid. But the elves being just this mentally handicapped species that Santa yes, just elves are amazing. So that they have something to do. <laughs> yeah, the elves are... The elves are, like, a foot tall, and the elf hats they wear cover their entire bodies. So they put them on, and then they cut out, and then they cut out holes for their face and arms. Mm-hmm. And the peep and like the actual working force of Santa Claus is the Yetis, and just really, just a really dumb recurring joke that I kind of love is just is like one of the one of the Yetis is like you know painting a robot. He finishes painting it blue. And it's like in that face of paint red, turns over to like a like dozens of rows of blue robots. Like rawr, rawr, rawr. then get to later when they're helping out the Easter Bunny, you see him painting a red egg, and it's like oh, two Christmas he might make it blue. He's like, rawr, rawr, rawr. yeah, that's such a good, I actually, we were in a, a Dollar Tree uh, earlier this week and there were a bunch of like red and blue wannabe Power Rangers. <laughs> so I grabbed a red one and said, oi, paint it blue. <laughs> and um, my wife just like broke down laughing in the middle of the store. <laughs> 
Uh, and yeah, the other thing I kind of want to put out with this movie is just like surprisingly solid voice work from a bunch of like not voice actors. It was a great movie. Yeah, because uh, so Jack Frost is voiced by Chris Pine. Um, Jude Law of does Pitch Black. Um, Hugh Jackman does Easter Bunny. Uh, Isla Fisher does the Tooth Fairy. And then the fucking star of the goddamn show, Alec Baldwin. Does fucking Santa Claus. And he's fucking amazing at it. Yeah, like with like with Isla Fisher, um, it's kind of well with Chris Pine specifically, it's just kind of his voice. Like it, he does a decent enough job being able to like emote properly as a voice actor, but it doesn't always, excuse me, match up. Isla Fisher is again just doing her own voice, but she is playing a bit more of a character. She's a bit more frenetic in the way that she talks, and just because she's a hummingbird, and it works a lot better with the animation. Um, Hugh Jackman. Does great, but and while he's putting on a voice, he's just doing like a more exaggerated version of I'm assuming his own accent because Hugh Jackman is Australian. Did you redo Struth Wallaby Dingo? <laughs> Uh, That's not a boomerang. This is a boomerang. And I wonder why. And I wonder why that other guy left. <laughs> but yeah, Jude Law. He also does a pretty, he also does a really good job with just like um very very like kind of like low like lo fi creepy on Pitch Black. Again, that it doesn't always work, but it works well enough. Alec Baldwin fucking disappears into this voice. Mm-hmm. If you did not know it was Alec Baldwin, no you would not be Alec able Baldwin to fucking tell. Right now. I had no idea until right now. Yeah, it's this is just a this is just a good movie. This is just a very good movie. Which not enough people talk about. And that's a bit of a shame. But it always happens with those movies that are just like really good. Like, unless you are, like, particularly great or bad, there's that, like, very large spectrum in, like, the middle of quality going from, like, kind of mediocre to just really good, but not really crossing over the line just, like, super great for most people, where things just kind of, like, fade into obscurity. That's a shame, because this movie is... This movie's really good. If you haven't got a chance to check it out yet, it's a... Might be worth thinking about putting into your holiday rotation. It's definitely worth putting into your holiday rotation, given how many crap holiday movies come out every year. <laughs> like, there, I don't even think it's a might-be situation. It is definitely worth putting into your holiday rotation. Uh, you can watch it at Christmas or Easter, since they do try and, like, save the day with Easter at one point. Yeah, yeah, they do. <laughs> uh, they, they get up to a... The, 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 the fucking bottom the bottoming out at the end near the end of act two is just oh fuck Easter's doomed <sighs> anyway we'll run along I watched a documentary 
Oh, on what? Um, Mauro Ranallo. So for those who don't know, Mauro Ranallo is is a combat sports commentator. He is one of the only men in the world to have commentated professional wrestling, boxing, and MMA. He did the commentary for the uh, Mayweather-Pacquiao fight a couple years back. As well as, I believe, Mayweather and McGregor. And he's also currently the head commentator for NXT and part of WWE. Now, this is not about wrestling. This is about a documentary that was released by that was released by Showtime called The Bipolar Rock and Roller. It's kind of detailing Ronaldo's life as well as his struggles with bipolar disorder. And there was a reason I watched this and it was actually a it was a weird path to get to this movie. Because it all started with a pay-per-view. So, not too long ago. All right, which porno did you watch? Uh, NXT TakeOver War Games. Sounds hot. Yeah, so, this past, like, a couple weeks back, um, WWE had their big Survivor Series weekend, which was NXT TakeOver War Games, and then the next night it would be Survivor Series pitting Raw versus SmackDown versus NXT. It would be the first time NXT participated in Survivor Series, and when they did so, they fucking crushed it, uh, winning four to two to one. Okay. NXT dominated; it was great. Uh, but yeah, at War Games the night before, um, Morrow was you know Morrow was on commentary with his two co-commentators, um, Nigel McGuinness and Beth Phoenix, and they just fucking went at it. And Morrow was going hard; it was an, it was an amazing fucking pay per view. Afterwards, though, Corey Graves, another commentator for the company who works on SmackDown, tweeted out um, something to the something to the effect of, "You might not have noticed this, but during War Games, but during War Games last night, there was a WWE Hall of Famer as well as a former Ring of Honor champion there on commentary too, essentially calling out Morrow for being too overbearing in his commentary." Oh. And then someone tweeted at Graves like, "Hey!" And someone tweeted at Graves like, uh, "Hey, how many how many Chicago hip hop references tomorrow do?" And then tomorrow was like, "Far." And then Corey was like, "Far too many." To which, um, shortly after that, Morrow deleted his Twitter, and then was also absent from Survivor Series the next day, where he was also supposed to do commentary. Thus, I, thus, everything was like, oh, shit, what's going on? Um, started looking into this a bit on, like, they just, like, kind of, like, to looking for more people who know more about, like, Morrow and that stuff. And eventually led me to this documentary, which is actually available for free right now, on, which is actually available for free on YouTube and on, I believe, Showtime's YouTube channel. And, yeah, it's just a, it's just a documentary um, showing Morrow... And his life and his struggles with bipolar disorder. And it gets rough. Like, there, this, there are points where it gets uncomfortable. Just like showing the effect. I would imagine bipolar disorder is not something to, uh, is not a joke to be laughed about. It's a very, very serious condition. 
Yeah, I know. And this documentary treats it as such. It's always good to hear. Yeah, um, and th- that was actually um, like re- like I checked a couple of interviews that Morrow did around the time this documentary came out, and he was, and he said that like this thing being difficult to watch at points was the point of the documentary, where it is, where, where like it is meant to show that hey, I have this, this is the shit it can do to me, this is what my career is. Like his whole thing with it is just saying that like, yes, this, this illness can be incredibly difficult to deal with, but you can deal with it and you can live a life and have and be successful in what you want to do. Just trying to be very inspirational with it. And it works actually. Uh, Like there's a point in this documentary where it is after the Mayweather Pacquiao fight. It is the, it was the quote unquote fight of the century. And immediately after it was done, Mara was reading a bunch of comments of like of like people like saying, Yo, Mara did a really great job. To which she gets pissed off, starts crying, and says, like, hey, if I'm this sad after the biggest night of my career, I might as well just kill myself. This goes, and it's kind of great, showing this like very interesting uh well, it shows a very straight on look at this disorder. Um, it shows a man struggling with it and overcoming it in certain in in certain instances and give me a whole new respect for the man so we got a chance to check it out bipolar rock and roller like i said it's on youtube for free did we wind up talking about wrestling again uh no we talked about a documentary i know i'm just messing with you (laughs) yes that was specifically I was like, okay, I know I said I know I said when we talk about wrestling like every once in a while. This is not about wrestling, it's wrestling adjacent. <laughs> I know, I was just messing with you, man. Yeah, and then final movie, because then I got TV, which I'll try to blast through. Because I've been talking for an hour. Uh final movie I watched. Uh, it's a bit of a comparison piece, actually. Um so I watched Ready or Not. Which is a newish movie. It came out this year, just got released uh not too long ago on like, you know, on demand stuff. And it is a there's there's been a lot of comparisons made between it and your next. And I saw okay, a lot of I don't know either of those movies. Yeah. So oh, that's the one where the uh, where the wife gets like marries into the loon family and they have to kill her or else the curse will uh, enact or some shit like that. That's ready or not. Yeah. Yeah. So ready or not uh, stars Samara Weaving, uh, who I guess. The Babysitter, that Netflix movie. Kind of be the thing people would know her for. Oh, yeah. So she is married in. She is married into a board game dynasty, as they prefer to be, as they prefer it to be called. And the family has tradition. Every time a new person comes into the family, they have to play card out of a box and then play the game on that card. She pulls it and gets hide and seek. Which is every, which is she has until dawn to try to, to try to like stay alive. Meanwhile, the rest of the family hunts her through the mansion in order to capture her and kill her to please Satan and thus keep their board game dynasty family alive. And there's this whole backstory involved where like their great great grandfather or whatever made a deal with this man named Mr. LaBelle. 
to like get like be prosperous and like their first game, the game that kind of like built their empire on top of was LaBelle's Gambit. Okay. Which is which is a picture of Satan on it. And yeah, the movie is a like comedy thriller, I think would be a good description for it, because it's not any kind of horror, but yeah, the idea with it just is Samara Weaving is her character is vaguely competent and everyone else in the family is a fucking idiot. Like, I think in the movie, she only like, I think she killed like two people and the bot and there's a body count of like seven or eight with the rest of the people being killed, being killed by accident by the people involved. Wow. Yeah. There's one guy who spends like, this was like 10 minutes of the movie sitting on the toilet, watching a YouTube video about how to use a crossbow. The family okay. barely knows what's happening. They keep fucking up and she manages to survive largely because she is not an idiot. And for the comedy aspects of it, that stuff Kind of works. I think. I think it is. I think it is largely funny. Uh, Samara Weaving is a really great actress. She carries the movie fairly well. Um, everyone else in the family. I just read a plot synopsis, and I do not understand how this movie can be anything other than completely insane and entertaining. Because the synopsis I read sounds absolutely batshit, but this movie is done well, so that must mean it's batshit entertaining. <laughs> I think the people, I think the people who wrote that synopsis might have been overselling it a bit because it isn't, it isn't particularly batshit. It's just kind of. I'm talking mostly about the ending. Oh, the ending, yeah, the ending, the ending fucking goes, dude. Like, especially the end joke of the entire fucking movie. Yeah, it. I would say the ending is very entertaining. Especially entertaining because um, one of the things they used uh, for the ending. Um, is something they called on set a meat gun. A what? A meat gun. I was like going around looking at various stuff about this movie, and then I just saw a headline, just just ready or not, meat gun. So, you know, they had that. So what did the meat? What was the meat gun for? The meat gun was for the effects for the final for the finale of the movie. So they just sprayed them with meat or something? Uh, no, it was. A, I believe it was a pressurized air cannon full of meat. So it wasn't like a stream. It was just like a. Poof. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. But yeah, and the other thing that uh, so the people were comparing it, like I said, to your next, which for those who don't remember your next, it came out years ago. Uh, it was a like one of the first movies from like a Adam Wingard as a director. Like if I gotta put him on the map, he did the guest. And yeah, that movie is about a woman who is meeting her boyfriend's um rich family 
for the weekend and their house gets um gets descended upon by fucking like in by like house like home invaders and intruders who come in wearing like all black with like military grade equipment and like and like uh spray painted white animal masks okay and yeah it's like a home invasion black comedy kind of thing uh where where basically this rich family is like trying to survive uh the un- unlike a lot of these movies where the rich family is like oh we don't care about anybody blah, 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 blah. like the like the parents are like straight up good parents who raised their raise their kids as best as they could um they try they like they like actively try to make things good for their good for their family um and then yeah things just kind of keep keep going like horribly horribly wrong like one woman like one, like the daughter um she brings her boyfriend in who's like a documentary filmmaker for an underground film festival. And he's the first one to die. And he dies pretty horribly because okay. he gets like, I think he gets a crossbow bolt through his fucking face. Um, okay. Yeah. And then the daughter is like, I need, okay, we need to get out of the cars. Who's the best runner. I, uh, she like just starts screaming like, you guys, you guys never believe me in anything. I can do this. Get a dead sprint out the door and then runs neck first into a piece of razor wire. Or like piano wire that's strung across the door at neck level. And just bounces back and ties. Wow. Okay. Yeah, and then our main girl, uh, the the girlfriend of one of the guys who was coming in, she is Australian and grew up in a survivalist compound. So she is like able to like give advice, give, you know, like properly arm people and work against the in work against the home invaders and it all makes sense. And the guys involved also aren't idiots. So it's like, so it's like two groups of active people trying to, trying to like just work out how each other are working and figure out how to beat them. Yeah. Ready or not feels a lot like the counter argument to your next because your next is competent people being active in their, in their own survival. Whereas, with your next, it is one competent person and a bunch of fucking idiots. All of them just kind of bumbling into the right answer. Because I, for the longest time, I actually thought I dreamt the scene where she explained she was from a survivalist compound. Because it doesn't sound like something that would actually be in a movie. Yeah. Justification for why a character is competent. Yeah, and that turns out to be actually true. And it is, it's good that they, it's neat that they actually put a detail in. They put like a line of dialogue and actually explain her own competence. Uh, especially up against people who are also, given what we've seen, very competent. It's that'll, that'll be kind of it for that. Just your next, uh, right or not, is fine. Uh, it, but it is very much just just people stumbling backwards into into things happening. Oh, also, it got weirdly dark for like one scene. Okay. Yeah, so there's a point where they go out to like the barn, and she goes out to hide in the barn or whatever, and there's a kid in there who is like the son of one of the people involved in this, and he pulls out a gun and shoots her through the hand. So she has a bullet hole in the middle of her hand. 
Okay. She then ends up falling into a corpse pit. And as she goes to climb out, the ladder that she's climbing breaks because it's like old and decrepit from like fucking decades and decades of corpse fumes. Reaches up, grabs onto the edge of the thing that she is climbing out of. And is like, oh, fuck, I need to hold on. I need to hold on. There's a nail sticking up out of the th- of the boards that she's holding on to. It's like the nail goes through her hand so that she can hang there. Yes. That was needlessly dark and not played for laughs at all. As this woman just slaps this wet meat onto her onto this fucking nail and just starts screaming. You elicited a wince from me, my friend. Yeah, it's not played for laughs. It's not done as a joke. It just is uh and then that does it for movies so tv stuff like i said i'll just try to blaze through some of this uh watchman i tried watching the first episode of watchman it's all right it is a it is a show that spends it's a show set in oklahoma where it's just people in contemporary times dealing with the fallout of the Watchmen happening, but they also ignored and rewrote parts of Watchmen to make it fit the narrative they wanted to tell. Like Dr. Manhattan is still on Mars. Um, the squid, when it, the squid alien, when it, when it fucking bamfed in, it apparently then caused the world to change in such a way that every once in a while it'll just rain squid. That sounds delicious. And there are multiple like shots in this movie that are straight up references or ripoffs or, or like rips of panels from Watchmen. Not to, not in like a just in kind of like a hey, do you remember this shot from Watchmen kind of way? As opposed to any way that actually makes sense as to why they would do it that way. Oh, and Rorschach also became the figure also like in his death became the figurehead for a far right extremist group and people are very mad about that. Which is hilarious. I would be too, honestly. <laughs> Why? He was a far-right extremist. Because, just, like... He may have been, but he was still a good guy. And there are very few far-right extremists in the real world who can be classified in that way. Do you understand my meaning? No, I get it. He also... Tried to destroy the world peace that had been made. Um, also, he was a regular murderer. Yeah, no. That's true. Like, not even going to deny that. He also killed dogs. Yeah, but they were going to eat him. And? Self-defense. And? Can we move on, They're please? They're dogs. Dogs are better. Uh, so the Mandalorian. Now I'm starting to see why that other guy left. <laughs> <laughs> so the Mandalorian. I've seen some of this. It's all right. It is not as good as the internet is seeming to make it. Not really, no. I wasn't even going to bother talking about it because I didn't feel like the shit storm that would ensue on from anyone who might have happened to click on it and listen to the, exactly this point. But no, The Mandalorian isn't very good. <laughs> like, I have enjoyed some of what I've seen of it. Um, Like, the whole... Our lead doesn't have personality. He does not. Or identity. 
or a character. He has a bit of a character. No, he didn't murder a baby. He does not have a character. (laughs) There has been more character given to him, like, from two random-ass Tumblr comics I have seen. I haven't seen any of those. I've just seen what I've seen in the show, and I... I think he's, I think they've done all right. They have done a, this may just be me implanting emotions onto the fucking neutral mask of the Mandalorian helmet. Like there's neutral mask and then it's taking it to a fucking extreme. Yeah. Um, the main thing the show did to me was just kind of make me realize that I might hate star Wars. We're back. Sorry about that. We had a hiccup. Yeah. So, yeah, I I think this made me realize that I kind of hate Star Wars because it is. So Star Wars is sci-fi fantasy without the care that either of those genres need to really succeed. Explain. So with both sci-fi and fantasy, the best of those things have explanations with sci-fi they have they have some reasons as to why things work the way they work for their tech that makes them that that makes it understandable with matt with fantasy they have lore and like like decade like fucking centuries of lore and like systems of magic and stuff that that like makes sense for them and make makes it work within that world like they they are all they're both genres that thrive off of detail. Star Wars doesn't care about details. The popular uh, the popular parts of Star Wars doesn't care about details. If you want to get into the legends content, pretty much everything has an annoyingly detailed and complicated explanation. Nothing written by people who are actually involved in Star Wars. They are written by assholes who said, "Oh, I could do this." And then they've all been destroyed. No. No. It was all canon, therefore all the stuff that was written that I'm talking about, the Legends content, was written by people involved with Star Wars. The problem is, it all got erased. Oh no, we lost Luke, the evil clone of Luke Skywalker. No, we lost the explanation for how the Force actually came into being in the uh, Star Wars universe as a whole, how their uh, spacecraft work, how the uh, plasma rifles used spun to Bonagas heated to such an extent that it's able to propel plasma. Do you want me to keep going? Because I can get really, really pedantic and boring about this. Okay. The only way to understand anything in Star Wars is to do homework. Yes. Which is That's also bad. true for all. No, it's also true for a lot of sci-fi and fantasy stuff. Because can, to actually get the detailed explanations, you have to do side research in order to understand. Okay, they used a term. What does this term mean? You can you can watch Lord of the Rings and enjoy Lord of the Rings without having to read the Silmarillion. You can watch Star Wars and enjoy Star Wars without having to go and read all of that other stuff. Not if you think about anything. Not if you think about anything in uh, Lord of the Rings. In the like, fucking what the fuck em- is the deal with the what? Where do these rings come from? Why do these wraiths show up and want to do anything? Why the fuck does it matter that a Hobbit is the one with the ring? They also in also in Star Wars they just straight up ignore everything they've done for the sake of like like fucking carbonite. 
What about it? Empire Strikes Back, where Carbonite was introduced. He, they, they go, okay, this, this might, this should, meaning it is not certain. It should keep Skywalker fucking pacified in, in and like held in stasis while we get him to the, while we get him to the fucking um, while we get him to the Emperor. To which Lando says it could kill him, meaning it is not used for this purpose. Okay, test it on Solo. That then turned into the Mandalorians when bounty hunting use carbonite to freeze their quarries. Nothing had been established about the about fucking Mandalorians using that as a thing. Nothing really been established about the Mandalorians as a culture ever uh, up to that point. At which point they, they then said, okay, so, okay, so carbonite's used to phrase people. And then that's all carbonite's used for. The ship, the fucking Millennium Falcon. They mentioned the name of that ship once, which then turns into Han Solo is from this planet. That's all this is. They take, they take minor details and then expand them and give them much more importance than they should have ever had for a throwaway line. The Star Wars movies, those first three movies, are fine. You can watch them, enjoy them, and that. Everything that has been like secondary properties of Star Wars, with the prequels and the TV shows and the books and the comics and this, has just gone to take everything that was introduced in those things, build them up into a stupid thing, despite despite the fact that it would contradict stuff from those original movies and stuff from the secondary materials that they were following. And then just go, here it is. That's my problem with Star Wars. I'm starting to see why everyone leaves. Hell, I think he's left. No, I'm just waiting for you to finish talking about Star Wars so that I don't end up ruining a friendship by refusing to let go of something. (laughs) Because I could literally ruin this recording and spend the next three hours shitting on so many popular uh, sci-fi and fantasy franchises that were only expanded by the fans and then later have it adopted into canon. Whereas Star Wars pretty much... Like, the big issue with Star Wars was if you got, like, the Vegas permission from Lucas and then gave him a percentage of the profits, it was canon. Which, I will admit, was a serious issue. Because it did, while it expanded a lot of important things and gave us a lot of lore, it also gave us a lot of issues. I'm not going to lie. The Carbonite thing, that was a problem. Not going to deny it. The fact that they will latch on to the tiniest of details and give us a world of uh, content, I don't have a problem with. Because spinning out the fact that the Millennium Falcon is from this and then we get to know this, that, and the others, that's cool to me. That is that is cool to me. And shared worlds are amazing and something that shouldn't be destroyed, Disney. But... <laughs> I'm not going to have an argument about Star Wars because I could literally spend the next three hours just finding shit on Wikipedia to contradict what you say. Fuck Wikipedia. Just straight up. I love Wikipedia. Uh, also, the thing that bugs me is that they have all of these ridiculous, retarded, like, in-depth lengths. Like, they have fucking the serial numbers of every component of Darth Vader's armor, but they don't know what Yoda's species is called. Yeah, that's the part that pisses me off the most. 
Like when, when, like the fact that he just George Lucas just introduced a whole bunch of species and then decided, yeah, we're gonna keep Yoda's. It's a secret. <laughs> there are mysterious be- uh, race of beings. Secret. Yeah. Here are the droid. Here are the droids that helped put Darth Vader's fucking bones back together and the data chips they used to, to power his armor. What's Yoda called? I don't know. And we're back. Fuck. So, uh, I think we're done arguing about Star Wars. What else have you watched? Final thing I don't like. The Marvel-style Lucasfilms. The Marvel-style Star Wars banner. I, I don't really notice the banners very much, so I tend to just ignore their existence. I can't ignore their existence. Ah, fuck. I got way more heated than I, th- than I thought it would. Then again, I probably actually should have known. I, keep I am re- a Star Wars fan, so... I keep referencing <laughs> keep referencing that 30-minute time... That time you spent 30 minutes trying to justify to yourself why this why this thing was able... Why this fucking lightsaber handle was shoot, able to shoot a bullet straight. Seriously, like, you should have expected this. Uh, so... Mandalorian's not very good. I think Star Wars is dumb. Mandalorian's not very good. I think Star Wars is dying. No, it, it is because the people involved don't realize that they can just make things up. Like, I, I think I've told you about this before, but I haven't mentioned it on a show, but there was a, there was a, like an interview that Kathleen Kennedy did as part of, as part of something talking about like the future of Lucasfilm. And she said, it's going to be hard making Star Wars films in the future. I mean, there aren't any more books or comics we can base our stories off of. I hope that face palm was audible because it actually hurt. It was audible enough. That was a headline. But anyway. Moving on to the last dumb thing I have to talk about. Uh, it's Christ on Infinite Earths. The latest and biggest of the Arrowverse crossovers. It's bad. Like there are there are pacing issues. There is the there are the pacing issues. There are the writing issues. There are the acting issues. There are the effects issues. There are there are there's the fact that there's the fact that there is literally no stakes in this at all, despite it being technically the most stakes they've ever had. Like, seriously, I think we're at a point right now where I can't believe you watched it is my thing. No, we're at, we're at a point right now where Lex Luthor is catching up to the anti-monitor in terms of body count. Okay. Yeah, so <laughs> this is all happening. The, the monitor is a droning, emotionless machine of a person. And I mean that in terms of his performance, not in terms of his character. We should do something. Oh no, it's not even it's not even that. Like he actually is doing stuff. He's just doing it badly. The anti monitor is the same, but he looks like a rotting scrotum. 
best description I've ever heard of the anti-monitor. Yeah, and I will say this with all with all certainty. Why do they go with the scrotum look when they could have just made him look like a like a whale inside of a bullet, like he's supposed to? <laughs> oh. oh man! And then yeah, uh, they also don't have the balls to kill anyone important. Like I think the only character that they have for realsies killed was the 1990s era flash. The John Wesley ship flash. Okay. They didn't even have the fucking balls to kill off the character whose show is ending. Wow. Yeah. Oliver died. Then they brought him back to life with Lazarus pit, went to go get a soul back from purgatory where he then became the specter. Honestly, that is appropriate. Given the personality that the specter usually embodies, that is appropriate. They also then brought a guy back to play Jim Corrigan, who was not the, who was not the only person who'd ever played an on-screen Jim Corrigan. Like in Constantine, there was a Jim Corrigan. They then they then have a new guy come over. He's like, "Hey, I'm Jim Corrigan." At which point, Constantine goes, "Not the one I know." And they move on. Oh, also, Lucifer's involved in this mess. Why did you watch this? Because I fucking need to. I need. I'm pariah. I need to be there to witness the tragedy. Okay, I I can accept that uh, answer. It fucking pisses me off how nothing everything in this is. Like, what does it say about the crisis on infinite Earths that the best part of this fucking entire event is the fact that we learned that Mick Rory is really good with babies? Aww. Yeah, the monitor is trying to give his speech, and then um, Jonathan Kent, the son of the son of Supergirl's Clark and Lois, he starts crying. And so they end up passing the baby down the line. He keeps crying, gets to Mick, and then the baby's just like, "Oh yeah, I'm cool." That's adorable. And then a little bit later, Mick is reading Harlequin romance novels to it to put it to sleep. That sounds like Mick because Mick is a romance writer. Yeah, and he's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> And also, the ship that they're on, instead of being voiced by Gideon, is now voiced by Captain Cold. What? Yes, because so they had to go to a different universe to recruit a different Mick Rory with a different wave, wave, wave with a different wave rider. Because, in Sarah Lance's own words, "I promise my crew no more crossovers." So they go to a different Earth with a different wave wave rider where the legends all quit except for Mick, who is now living in the ship, which is now voiced by Leonard Snart. A.K.A. Wentworth Miller. Uh... Hmm. It's bad. Yeah, no kidding. Oh, also, uh, they 
they kill Kevin Conroy? Who? The voice of Batman. Ah. From the, the best Batman stuff. Yeah, no, I'm not going to disagree with that. Like, yeah, when you said the voice of Batman, I was like, I know which Batman he's referring to. Yeah, and they do this after making him evil. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, they have to go find the Paragons, and they have to go find the Paragon of Bravery, which is... Which I'm is, losing the will here. Which is described as a Batman from the future. So they go to a future Earth where Kevin Conroy is there in a robo-suit because Superman put him in that after, after he killed him. And then, and then he blows up or something. Okay. This is bad. Uh, hell, uh, like- I have officially lost the will, man. Like, I, I can't even make jokes about this anymore. Yep, yeah, you don't have to. I'm, I'm done. It's bad. I will finish it. It's bad. Legend of Tomorrow Season 5 coming soon. And it looks, it looks fucking awesome. Ah, uh, last thing. Um, I've started rewatching Reaper. I enjoyed Reaper. It is good. Like, it is just, it's just good. Uh, quick premise for uh, everybody who doesn't know. And, and you can correct me where I misremember. Uh, some random dude gets hired to collect, like, escaped souls from hell or something like that. So. His parents sold the soul of their firstborn child to Satan to save his dad from dying of some kind of disease. As you do. Yes. Um, but they're like, hey, we're both sterile, so we'll never have kids. They'll fix that. Of course. And then made... And then made, and then they, and then they made Sam, who was our main character, who then on his twenty first birthday, uh, Satan, played by Ray Wise, visits him and says, "Hey, you work for me now." Souls escape from hell. You track him down, and his fat best friend goes along for the ride, as well as his other best friend, who coincidentally enough is an arrow. I do not remember another best friend. Uh, yeah, he's a. Uh, cannot remember his actor's name. Let me actually just look that up. Damn it! I want the TV show, not the fucking audio software. <laughs> but yeah, Reap. The base concept of Reaper is souls escape from hell, and our main character has to go catch them. And this yeah. this concept has been done in other series in different ways. Like, there was uh, one that I watched for a time where, like, a former police detective gets brought back from hell to capture, like, 13 super evil souls that escaped. And, like, he has to shoot them in the eyes in order to release their souls into hell because the eyes are the windows to the soul. Yeah. And an escaped soul can only be killed by being shot through the eyes. Yeah. With Reaper, um, they change things up a bit. Like, every week it's a new vessel because because as the souls escape hell, they get superpowers. And their new and all the, and all the vessels are, like, custom made for the guys they're going to face like the first guy is a man made of fire so they get a dirt devil because the devil likes to make jokes yes uh one of them like is, the devil in this series takes the piss constantly yeah ray it's played he's played by ray wise who if you don't know ray wise shame on you 
The man's a goddamn treasure. I haven't asked who he was yet. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking to the people. Yeah, but I'm usually the voice for the idiot people. <laughs> I don't think you want to be, dude. What? I don't think you want to be that, dude. I don't want to be, but I never know who an actor is. Yeah, he's he's been in he was in he was like one of the main players in Twin Peaks. He's been in like a bunch of other fucking shows. He's been a great like character actor. Uh, he was one of the, he was one of the main he was one of like a Boddicker's bad guys in RoboCop. He's in fucking a bunch of shit and he's great and everything. And he's this wonderful. is and this is just him just fucking perfect casting. Uh and yeah like like and one of the vessels he actually gets is like a he gets a like the, the vessel like the, so the so the soul has lightning powers and the vessel is a remote control car. And it's a lot of and it's a lot of like interesting ways of actually trying to figure this stuff out cuz like he tries driving the electric car into the guy at which point it gets hit by a car and destroyed so that so they can't use it. But it's like, oh, if you're using it wrong, pull out the antenna, it's a lightning rod. Mm-hmm. Or like one of And like that's the other thing is the devil never sends instructions. No. So it's always like, figure it out yourself, dum dum. Yeah, he also Sam also gets like a weird powers whenever like a new soul escapes from hell. Like the first time he gets like some form of telekinesis, uh with the second one, he uh Everything he everything he's about to put into his mouth turns into a bug. So they Lovely. are so they are varying forms of useless and useful. But yeah, and so the best friend is named Ben. Uh, he is played by Rick Gonzalez. He's great. I no, like no no this this friend. this is the second best friend. Oh, the first best the first best friend uh, is played by Tyler Labine. Who go on to voice he's the, the fat one? Uh, yeah, he's the fat one. He was. Uh, he's the one I remember. Yeah. Um. Fuck. What was his name? Uh. Sock. Yeah. Sock. Yeah. Sock and Ben help Sam go to do this shit. Uh. Sock is the problem in a lot of episodes. Like, like he is the one kind of like exacerbating things because he's because like on top of like being a best friend, he's also an idiot. Yeah, and we all have one of those. Yeah. And if you don't know who it is, it's probably you. Yeah. Yeah, and then also on top of all this, um, there's a girl. She, she, she does stuff. She has like her own agency and like things happening. Uh, but for the purposes of like just kind of barreling through this shit, she doesn't have a whole lot in terms of like the actual for realsies plots. But anyway, yeah, Reaper. It only got two seasons, so that's unfortunate. I also just they were an enjoyable two seasons, though. It went out before it went went to the shitter. Yeah, I also just uh, was reading through some of the character names, and it turns out Sam's dad's name is John Oliver. Crossover Reaper <laughs> with the uh, what is it? The John Oliver Report or something like that. Last week tonight. Yeah, last with last week tonight. <laughs> yeah, Reaper. It's really good. Uh, so yeah, that does it for me. Well, on to me. Um, Five minutes was, later, like when this started, I, I had I had a strategy. I was like, "This is the layout I'm gonna do my uh, talk in the head in my head," <laughs> and I just became more and more tired and depressed. So, <laughs> Klaus. <laughs> 
the story of a mailman who cons a, a woodworker into becoming Santa Claus. Yes, and not like I originally thought when I saw that title, a animated adaptation of the Grant Morrison Dan Mora comic book. Where in, Saint, all, in all seriousness, where Santa Claus um, fights demons. In all seriousness, the like beginning, like the beginning of Klaus, is and is one of the most interesting first Santa stories I've ever seen. Okay, we start with a rich asshole intentionally failing out of school. <laughs> And then getting to sent to die by his father. Because he is not prepared for the area he has been sent to go be the mailman in. But his father has told him, if you can mail 6,000 letters from this area, you'll be free to live the life you want, son. And by that I mean you'll be free to take a nap. Because <laughs> all you want to do is lay in bed and get uh, lavished with luxury by my servants. Okay, so so he, actually, so he actually will be allowed to go back to a lap of luxury, because yeah, okay, because I was the way the way that was being described, it was like you'll be you'll be free to be a peasant. No, like like the father is like made it makes it clear that once you have succeeded in your task, you get to be rich again. Okay. Now go live like a commoner. He gets sent to a post office that is basically made up of like splinters and wishes. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a Christmas story and he's sent to a town where nobody sends each other's letter in each other letters because the town is basically made up of two inbred as fuck families. <laughs> and those families want to kill each other. Nice. Um, so it's the half fields and the aided Hatfields. by an asshole, uh, like ferryman who like he's the, the ferryman seems to exist to make his life harder. So he then starts conning kids into sending letters to the Santa Claus figure, Klaus by saying, Hey, you know, if you send a letter, he'll give you a toy. Um, like there is precedent to this, but I don't feel like going that far into the movie. He meets a school teacher. Those two eventually fall in love. Our main character learns his lesson, becomes a better person. And then of course, because it's a kid's movie, the, after he's learned his lesson and become a better person, that's when he has to be given the opportunity to return home, have all of his friends hate him for unexplained reasons. Because in my opinion, it's never fucking legitimate whenever the characters all decide to suddenly hate someone and then come in and save the day. It's, it's a children's movie. movie. Yeah, it, it's got a lot of the trappings of a, a children's movie, but it's enjoyable. It's got a lot of the feel of the Emperor's New Groove kind of uh, kind of thi of the main character is this cocky, self-assured asshole who makes friends with a giant fucking guy who, through homespun wisdom and kindness, teaches him how to be a better person. Yeah, and like the character design-wise, it also feels very Emperor's New Groove. Yeah, it's good, but it's a very good film. Uh, I, I I recommend it. Uh, I'm not going to give it a highly recommend because it is a Christmas movie and it is a children's Christmas movie, so it falls into a lot of those trappings. Yeah, and uh, I think this is another, I think this is a movie that actually had a lot of interest in just because of, like the design and like the look of it. It's worth a watch. Because, it really is because I think it, I think what it was was that it was a 2D traditionally animated movie that was shaded in such a way that it looked polygonal in 3D. I wouldn't know. That's not my area. 
Well, technically it's not mine, but I, I watched a YouTube video about it. All right. Well, that was the first thing. I ain't no Now to boy. move on to something that's going to make the internet hate me. Sherlock. Uh, the British one. One of the worst interpretations of Sherlock I've ever seen. Whee! Um, man, if, I had, man, if Tumblr was, still existed, they'd be so mad. Tumblr still exists, but it's oh, kind no, it of doesn't. like having a heart attack. Um, Benedict Cumberbatch performed his role admirably. It was his role that sucked. This Sherlock Holmes is the worst interpretation of Sherlock Holmes I've ever fucking seen. And he is surrounded by people who just exacerbate this <laughs> and facilitate him being a terrible person. Because, yes, this version of Sherlock Holmes is, as he puts it, a barely functioning sociopath or high-functioning yes, high high functioning sociopath. sociopath. And it's just like, oh, and John Watson. Honestly, John Watson's a bad character in this, as is his wife, as are pretty much all of the characters in this movie in this tv show i keep forgetting that it's not a movie because each episode's like a movie fucking length <laughs> yeah no i i can i enjoy this show until i remember that it's supposed to be sherlock holmes and then i get mad <laughs> like so long as i block out the fact that they're calling each other by names of famous characters yeah it's great it's a great quirky detective show starring a like high functioning sociopath who instead of becoming disattached from society decides to distract himself from his drug addictions with uh with um murder mysteries that's interesting that's unique that's not sherlock fucking holmes <laughs> <sighs> you want a good Sherlock Holmes story set in the modern day? <laughs> Elementary. Yes, the show that we have been... The show that I am constantly surprised is as good as it is. Fuck, fuck Sherlock. Like, oh my god, every fucking character on that show thinks they're, like, the bee's knees, the smartest potato in the uh, drawer. You're not... <laughs> I am not a smart person and I can figure out most of your fucking gambits before you actually sell them. Stop it. <laughs> and I'm probably, probably remember wrong, but like, didn't the first like case they work be solved because John shot a guy? I don't know. I think so. Like it wasn't even, it wasn't even like a clever thing. Like they were setting up a quote unquote clever thing. And then John just fucking blapped. Yeah, I think so. I don't remember though. Yeah, the whole thing was like, I think it was like, all right, I have two, I have two bottles here. One's poison, yeah. one's not. Yeah, that was the first one, and it was like, did I choose right? Did I choose right? It's fucking stupid. I, I don't know if I ever like got that one. To just, I was like, I don't like the whole, this whole idea of like the killer, like being, oh, I'm so smart. I made this person kill themselves, which you, you can't, you had a gun. 
Yeah, you forced them to take a pill at gunpoint, You're... thereby killing themselves. You did not make them kill themselves at all. Yeah, they, they didn't fall for one of the classic blunders, you motherfucker. No, it you was, didn't put it was two 50, glasses 50... of wine yeah. in them, and like you built up a, a, a tolerance to one of the poisons and yada yada. Yeah, it was 50-50 chance they die, or they 100% die. No, it's 100% chance they die. I am certain both bottles contain poison. <laughs> And that he's just, like, because of whatever disease he has or some shit like that. Like, whatever the background explanation is, he would have survived. <laughs> he actually did build up a bot- he actually did build up, uh, resistance in his body. No, I think, like, he, whatever medicines he's taking. Or, like, it's, it's whatever medicine he was taking because he was dying or some shit like that. <laughs> <laughs> like, in a normal person, this is lethal. But for me, it treats my medical condition. Ha ha ha. Yeah. And honestly, if you, if Sherlock wanted to know like why if he got it right, he could just take it to a lab and test yeah, just it. do science. <laughs> no, Ooh. I can't do that. I'm too busy. I'm too busy slapping this dead body with a riding crop. I and, fucking hate it. Being smug, like portrayal of Sherlock. Like again, remove me from the whole he's Sherlock Holmes, and it's bloody interesting. Like the cases are genuinely smart. The characters are interesting and entertaining, but that's not Sherlock Holmes. That's not John Watson. And just fuck you. Like, <laughs> where's, like, why is Lestrade acting like that? Uh, I'm trying to remember now what the fuck Lestrade I actually looked genuinely like in Sherlock. Enjoy. On to things I actually genuinely enjoy. Okay. So, uh, King Kong versus Godzilla. The one time America played it straight when it really shouldn't have. <laughs> this is a, like, 70s Godzilla movie, and the Japanese version is a comedy. It's a joke. Yeah, because... It's the meant whole- to be played for laughs, but the American audience, well, the American, like, producers were like, nah, we're gonna re-edit this to make it serious. Yeah, like, uh... Back in the day... Before, before everyone was like, "Oh, we need to take this seriously because it's gonna be big. It's gonna make us a billion dollars." Super serial, guys. Yeah. Before that, Godzilla was you know giant radioactive monster, and King Kong was a big ape. Yeah, like they so sized him up so that he could go up against Godzilla. <laughs> yeah, like like the King Kong that they showed that's in like the new movies, or I guess new movie. He is like many folds larger, and he's still a juvenile. Yeah, like, like, like old King Kong, fully grown, could uh, had to climb for a while to get to the top of the Empire State Building. New King Kong can knock over the Empire State Building with a fart. Yeah, but the original Japanese version, and I watched this like a while ago, so you'll have to forgive me if I forget a lot of things. But they play a lot of it for laughs. A lot of the moments that would have been played seriously in the American version are just kind of played up cartoony outtakes. Like, there's a scene where they have, like, two dolls and smack them into each other. And in the American version, you're just questioning, did they not have a fight scene shot? In the Japanese version, you're like, ha they decided to use the dolls because the fighting's so stilted it looks realistic. <laughs> That's funny. Also, I, I just looked this up. This was the third ever Godzilla movie. 
<laughs> just, just, just like harrowing fucking depi- like harrowing metaphor for nuclear destruction. Something else, a comedy. Yeah. Damn. And it was good. It was entertaining. It was funny. Like, if you're not a Godzilla fan, you're probably not going to like it, but <laughs> I enjoyed it immensely. I didn't enjoy Super Sentai Jetman. <laughs> <laughs> Super Sentai Jetman very much feels like an early Super Sentai. <laughs> it very much feels like. Hey, we got some ideas. Let's uh, put them together and see what happens. Oh, that didn't work out. Oh, fuck. Oh, well. <laughs> what do we do? Because if... And I don't... Again, I watched this an age ago, so I don't 100% remember. But I wanted to talk about it. Um, The basic premise seems to be that an alien race invaded... So the, uh, the humans made super weapons... The aliens attacked, and those super weapons got scattered across an area. So the Jetmen have to go out and find the other people who are supposed to make up their team and convince them. And one of them is a cabbage farmer or a potato farmer, some kind of farmer. I want to say cabbages because then I can show out my cabbages. Uh, and only gets convinced to join them after the baddies show up and start trampling his crops. They don't attack. They just trample his crops. Would you like me to read a plot synopsis from Wikipedia to ju- to clarify any things you have? Nope, because that would be less funny. Okay. Go ahead. No, go ahead. It's oh. okay. Okay. Well, this series takes place in 1990X. <laughs> Man, that's a varied period of 10 years that it could have taken place in. On the Earth ship, the command center of a defense agency called Skyforce, the Guardians of Peace on Earth, scientists have to... Yeah. Okay, th- this is a fucking... Com- okay. On the Earth ship, the command center of a defense agency called Skyforce, the Guardians of Peace on Earth, scientists have developed bird birdonic waves, a newly developed technology that gives the subject superhuman abilities. I forgot that they were called birdonic waves. Experiments called J-Project were successful. Aya Odagiri, the director of the project, chooses five elite Skyforce officials from Earth to use his technology. Ryu Tendo, one of the Skyforce officers, is successfully exposed to the birdonic waves, making him the first Jetman, the Red Hawk. However, the Earth ship is suddenly attacked by, by Virum, an evil outer-dimensional organization bent on interdimensional domination. Both outer and inter- interdimensional. Ooh. Well, they came from the from another dimension to invade and dominate our dimension. They successfully destroy the ship, apparently killing Ryu's lover and fellow candidate member Rie. In the chaos, the remaining Burdonic waves for the other four officials have become scattered on Earth, hitting four civilians. Odagiri and Tendo successfully escape and begin searching for on Earth for the four remaining Jetmen, training them to aid them in stopping Virum's plans of conquering their dimension. The series follows the tribulations of Ryu as he learns of Rie's survival and enlistment in Virum forces, as well as love triangle between Guy, Ryu, and, Kai- and Kaori. And there is a man who loves vegetables. He is like, yeah, uh, one of the guys, um, Raita Oishi. Uh, he's a he's described as quote, a twenty two year old large framed eyeglasses wearing nature lover who enjoys vegetables. Yeah, a fat ass farmer. Yep. 
He's the Yellow Ranger. The Yellow Owl. And this is arguably, like, one of the series that helped pave the way for Power Rangers. It is also one of the, it is also the last series until the, until the train series to not be adapted into Power Rangers. (laughs) Japan, you weird. (laughs) I still want the train one. I do too. Uh, Go, go listen to pitch meetings for idea of (laughs) our, for idea of how to use uh, the train series. Yes. The one that will never, ever, ever be used for no matter what series they're trying to adapt. So the final thing that I want to talk about, and uh, I'm kind of rushing because, like I said, I'm tired and don't really, I I can't, I can't find the will. (laughs) (laughs) I have that effect on a lot Um, of people. So, Godzilla. Godzilla. Ultraman. I don't. Super Sentai. Kamen Rider. These are all quintessential Japanese things. And all of them kind of cross over into a show called Ultra Q. The guy who did the Godzilla suits wrote a series called Ultra Q. In this series, a team of weirdos goes around encountering monsters. Like, that's really the most I can say for what they do. They just kind of show up a monster happens, and then stuff. <laughs> like, sometimes they defeat the monster, sometimes the monster gets bored and leaves, sometimes another monster shows up to defeat the monster, sometimes the monster kills itself. And this series is what birthed Ultraman. Yeah, Ultraman. And it is weird. Because the tone for Ultra Q will drastically shift. They well, Sometimes they'll incorporate old ancient legends. Sometimes they'll use like modern day, like they'll, they'll use like modern day sci-fi stuff from that period, obviously. Yeah. Um, modern day sci-fi. And the effects are so cheap. Like, How at in one point. It's okay. They, I, developed a, I developed a cellular technology. Yeah, um, but uh, like at one point th- we there is they had to spin like a tank thing in the air, and like I was watching this with Birdie, who is pretty much like when we're together we watch shitty Japanese stuff naturally. <laughs> um, and he was like, I, well, at least I couldn't see the strings. I was like, you fucking couldn't. Let me rewind. <laughs> Look, there is the string very clearly visible. So it's like, it was super cheap. And like, they used the Godzilla suit like four times in the series, just attaching other shit to it. That's not even a joke. Like, I'm pretty sure like of the episodes I've seen like four times, they just like attached random shit to Godzilla to make the monster. So that was fun, especially because we kind of, uh, Birdie and I like made a game out of, uh, having a drink every time we spotted something ripped straight from Godzilla. So we got dr- very drunk watching this series. <laughs> so, cause a lot of the sound effects get pulled from Godzilla. A lot of the monster suits are just like m- remodeled versions of Godzilla ones. Yeah. The show's weird though. Like 
It's interesting, but it's very, very, very odd. And the episode that I keep thinking of stars a little boy who is trying to make his turtle grow big enough to take him to the Dragon Palace. <laughs> this is apparently based off of a Japanese myth. That makes 100% sense to me. The little boy is a chronic liar. And his teacher actively is like trying to break him of this. Everybody's an asshole to the kid. Even though we have not actually seen him lie. As far as I'm concerned, for the first like two-thirds of this thing, the kid's just highly gullible. You know, it just seems like he just believes any story told to him. Yeah. Um. Later on, we see that he is a he is a, ba- a terrible liar, but like like so, terrible as in he's bad at it, or terrible as in he just does it all the time. Both. Okay. Um. Then he spots some criminals robbing a bank, and apparently no one else in the world heard the alarms or the gunshots. I mean, why would they? They have. They have so much business to do. So they refuse to believe him. He confronts the criminals, and his turtle latches onto one of the criminal's legs, so they have to bring the kid along. Um, they're in the process of escaping, and they come across a police checkpoint, so they have to ditch their transport. But before they do, one of them hands the kid a machine gun. What? Okay, so I'm not sure if he handed it to him or if the kid snatched it from him, but either way, this is a very irresponsible adult. <laughs> this child now has a machine gun, ho, ho, ho. <laughs> yes. And the kid chases them across the countryside with the machine gun. No one seeing this shit. Wait, chases the cops or the robbers? The robbers. Okay. The robbers duck into a room. The kid follows them in there. Um... His turtle grew supersized during this time for some reason. So the robbers, now terrified, flee to go get the cops. <laughs> Help. We robbed this, ba- we robbed this him, bank and kidnapped a child. Now his turtle's with- eating us. Yeah, well, they lead the cops, like, he leads them, the bandits lead the cops back to where the kid was, but while this has been going on, the kid has been trying to get the turtle to take him to the dragon palace, the turtle being an asshole refusing. Naturally. Until finally, like, he just lets the kid on his back. And I kid you not, the worst flying animation I have ever seen in my life proceeded to play out on the screen. That's a bold claim, my friend. It's true. First, literally, it's just kid on the back of some guy in a turtle costume with fog machine blowing. Like, these are effects I could do <laughs> with my budget. And your skill level. Ah, my skill level's pretty high, but my budget. But, and this is what really made, the, the it made the scene for me. The best part of the scene. He's patting on the turtle's back, and a panel opens up showing a speedometer. And the kid assumes they're going at Mach 2, because the dial has, like, th- like one through three and an M on it. And they're at the two, so he's like, we must be going Mach 2! Go faster! I'm like, fucker, you would have been blown off its back. Yeah. 
<laughs> Get going fast. I don't have skin left. What, what, here's what really cements it as the worst flying scene I've ever seen. Eventually, the turtle dives into the water. And to show this, they take a static black image that is vaguely shaped like the kid on the turtle's back and move it across a static image of some water to have it dive. Noise. And they don't even bother doing a splash effect. Noise. The kid then rides underwater without having to breathe until he finally gets to the dragon palace where there's a girl there just fucking with him. He then proceeds to try and threaten her to get her to, like, make him, to name him the Emperor of the Dragon Palace, eventually pulling a vial of ink out of his pocket, saying, this is a nuclear weapon and it will kill you. I will throw it to the ground if you don't declare me Emperor. He throws it to the ground and then gets blown up, at which point we get to the classic uh, liars, uh, fibs becoming truths to punish them kind of situation. Um... (laughs) The girl gives him a gemmed box saying, if you open this, you will be cursed. But if you keep it, you can return home. He goes home and finally fucking tells the truth. Nobody believes him. So he opens the box, turns into an old man. And then we cut to the end where he's sitting in class as a kid again. And everybody else has turtles. That is the roller coaster ride I went on with this one episode. That was that was an that was an episode, an episode, a twenty three minute episode. I think I, they're twenty three minutes. It might be forty six, but I'm pretty sure it was a twenty three minute episode. I forgot what you were talking about. I thought you were talking about a movie. No, this was an episode of Ultra Q. One episode. <sighs> I think actually, I think it might be forty six minutes, but still. That is the bad part of this show. I haven't talked in forever, and I'm already out of breath. And then you have the good part of this show. The counterpoint of this show. The good episodes. Um, I think the episode was titled, like, The uh, Mansion of the Spider King or something like that. In which our researchers, along with a couple of their friends, are in a swamp. Because, you know, swamps. Yeah, spiders live in swamps. And they wa- they, they're they wandering around and see a mansion. They're like, hey, we're going to go hang out in there. <laughs> oh, hey, look, a mansion in the middle of a swamp. I wonder so if they, they be go anything into the, bad they inside. They go into the mansion and, like, end up getting attacked by spiders. Oh, my and God, I there was something really bad inside the swamp mansion? I can't really say much more about it because, like, what was good about the episode was the atmosphere was the feeling of it. Like, there were a few weird parts of the episode, but it stuck into my head because while the spiders were really shitty, I was genuinely creeped out. Now, I do admit, I have minor arachnophobia, but the lower quality the spider, the less likely it is to scare me. And these spiders were like Minecraft level. Yeah, it's... I feel like it is entirely sensible to have an irrational fear of spiders. (laughs) <laughs> but that is ultra Q. Um, I don't remember who who's putting it out in the states, but like, if they like, the more the better it does, the more likely we're gonna get like Super Sentai releases, Ultraman releases, Common Rider releases, because they've said like, if this does well, we're gonna li- seek to like localize more Japanese crap. So, 
Okay, probably Shout Factory? I think it might be Shout Factory, but I'm not 100% certain. Yeah. But uh, if any of what I've said about Ultra Q appeals to you, like, we've got a recurring cast of uh, characters who all, like, keep, they come back from episode to episode, most episodes, some episodes, they aren't there because they wanted to focus on something else weird. Um, but they humanize it. They're interesting characters. If you're interested, look up Ultra Q. It's weird. Huh, and apparently Shout Factory is also putting out the entire series of Manimal. The show wow, about it's a, been a long time since I thought about that show. The show about a man who could turn into an animal. A manimal. Sure wasn't an animal who could turn into a man? Pretty sure. I don't I don't think I don't think eagles know how to wear vests. <laughs> Are you kidding? They're the spiffiest of all birds. Yeah, the spiffiest of all birds. I think it's just like a natural spiffiness. They don't have to work <laughs> at it like we do. Uh but no, that's what I've been watching that I can think of at this moment. So, alrighty. Uh, can we like can we talk about the Wonder Woman trailer now? Uh yes. So, news. There is some, which is all trailers, because there has been a glut of trailers for new shit coming out. And I guess yeah, we'll start with Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman eighty four, the sequel to Wonder Woman, has the trailer is out there now. It is set in the eighties. It is uh fucking scored to New Order's Blue Monday. She backhands a bullet to fire fire it from a cartridge. Yeah, she yeah, like she grabs onto a dude's fucking pistol, cocks it back so so a bullet ejects, and then just fucking backhand this fucking like backs like slaps her wrist, slaps her like her fucking gauntlet into it. Or bracer. Do do I need to explain why that is ninety different levels of stupid, or can we just move on? That's the thing you have a problem with, and not her using lightning to Using lightning as grappling points for for lasso. I stopped watching at the bullet point. (laughs) (laughs) That's when I stopped watching the trailer. Because I was just like, I can't stand this level of dumb with how much, like, seriously, in recent years, so many shows have come out trying to point out how stupid bullet physics in movies are. And, like, they're still pulling shit like, yeah, if you smack the back of a cartridge hard enough, it'll fire a bullet straight into a guy. She wasn't actually shooting the bullet. She hit it. Yeah, but what's the point of her hitting it? To non-lethally shoot someone with it. Why didn't she just hit them? Because they were far away. Why didn't she throw the gun? Because she was holding the gun. No, some other guy was holding the gun, who she would have needed to disarm anyway. Yes, yeah, so there's, there's, there's someone off to the side. They're like, hey, I'm about to shoot this fucking person. Oh, there's a guy next to me. Eject a bullet, smack it at him, hits him in the side of the head. Oh, no, I've been fucking dazed. Take out this guy. More time to get to him. No, that's so dumb. Of course it's fucking dumb. It's, a, it's an action set piece. So she uses lightning bolts as anchors for her lasso? Yes, she is falling through the sky, um, and then lightning begins to strike. She whips her lasso out, which wraps around the lightning, and then she's able to swing off of it. See, I could actually see that. For, like, one reason and one reason. That you're okay with. 
but not I backhanded For one a bullet. reason and one reason only. In most portrayals of of Zeus and his lightning, his lightning is actually a physical thing. Zeus is dead. Then I can no longer see that. Okay, then. Never mind. That's just dumb. Eh, magic glass. No. No, it's lightning. No, that Not to work. bring it back up. That's a line too far, but Star Wars is okay. <laughs> I did say I didn't want to bring it back up. Because I knew that would be the reaction. <laughs> Let's finish this recording, please. Uh, I like comics. Uh, speaking of comics, uh, there was also a new trailer for Black Widow. Because that's getting a movie coming out in May next year. It looks fine. Uh, trailer for a new Ryan Reynolds movie called Free Guy. Where Ryan Reynolds plays an NPC in a GTA online style video game. Made by people who don't know how video games work. Eh, they're not really doing like super mechanics based stuff. Why? Okay. Why does this NPC have a life outside of, you know, getting killed repeatedly? Because because this AI shit like like the, the basic the basic idea I think with all this is that it's just an AI that gained self awareness. Okay. <laughs> also, why are there med picks med packs just on the ground in like glowing circles? That hasn't been done in like twenty years. Because the people who made this movie haven't played a video game in twenty years. It might be enjoyable. I mean, it is Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> it but... looks fun. Like if it lo- if it's the piss take, it looks like it should be fun. But yeah, like it, they're not they're not sitting here trying to go like, hey, we are making a serious we are making a serious movie about fucking video games and an AI gaining sentience. It is just it's Ready Player One. Yeah this this is hey you know the Lego Movie? What if video game? Just minus the heart because it is because it looked like a movie and went. We could do that. That made money, right? Yeah. Uh, moving on from there, new Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters Afterlife, which looks like it's abandoning our new new Ghostbusters and going back to our old Ghostbusters. Um, yeah, at least in reference. No, like, I'm not wrong about that. It's referring to the original Ghostbusters, right? Yeah, it's about Spangler's grandkids. Okay. Also, they pull up news okay. footage of the original Ghostbusters movie. Okay. And the original Ghostbusters have have a uh, you know roles. Okay, I was just and like, also, I was just yeah. trying to verify that I wasn't like getting my continuities crossed. And also, also, uh, it is being written and directed by the son of the guy who made the first one. That means nothing to me. Yes, it is done by Jason Reitman, um, who is the son of Ivan Reitman, who directed and I believe co-wrote the first one with uh, Harold Ramis. Okay. 
But yeah, so this one uh, set out in the middle of like bumfuck nowhere. Uh, two kids and their mom move into their move into a old dilapidated farmhouse that that was willed to them by their now deceased grandfather. Um, once they get there, uh, the daughter she ends up like you know discovering a bunch of shit and like finds a ghost trap in a like hidden compartment under the floorboards. Uh, heads out to like a old um. What is it? A like building, like a little like outhouse kind of thing, like a little like woodshed, which and finds a secret compartment down there that leads into like a little lab that has a proton pack as well as a various collection of spores, mold, and fungus. Ooh, spores, molds, and fungus. Because if you remember in the first movie, there was a throwaway line where Egon says, "Where where the, the fucking receptionist asks, hey, you have any hobbies?'" To which Egon says, "I collect spores, molds, and fungus." It was a throwaway line as a joke. You don't have to fucking make it. Honestly, when I first started watching this, I thought this was Ray's place because in the movie, like in Ghostbusters, Ray talks about being left a house by his parents that they had to then get three mortgages on to afford the money to start their own business. Oh, wow. So that's what I thought this was. Like yeah, the, like yeah, the girl they have, I think her name's uh, McKenna Grace. I think that's her. Let me just double check. Uh yeah. Yeah, McKenna Grace, uh she is in this. Um she looks a lot like Egon. But I was just but in my head I was just going, yeah, this is Ray's place, right? But no, apparently Egon had a farmhouse. Makes sense, honestly. Yeah, you need somewhere out in the middle of nowhere to do all your experimentation. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so that's all. That's all that. Uh, Finn Wolfhard is also in this movie uh, from Stranger Things. He is the elder son, and he is also apparently the wheel man of Ecto One now. Because the well, part you need a getaway driver. Yeah, because uh, he finds Ecto One, managed to get managed to get started again, and at the end of the at the end of the trailer, when we see our first bit of ghost busting in the entire trailer, uh, they are driving down the street um, with Finn driving, while the while McKenna Grace is out out the side of the out the side of the Ecto One in a gunner seat, firing a proton pack just randomly throughout the streets trying to catch a ghost. Yeah, it looks neat. It looks like they're actually doing something different. As opposed to, as opposed to, you know that first one? What if we just did it with different people? That'll work, right? I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me too, actually. Like, I I want to see it. What I've seen, what I've seen of it looks entertaining. Yeah. Oh, and Paul Rudd's in it as like a weird like mentor e figure who actually knows stuff about Ghostbusters. It seems like just based on the trailer, the Ghostbusters are the kids. Like they're the ones out there doing the Ghostbusting stuff, and then like uh, Paul Rudd is the guy who is like who like knows things. Only real downside I can see doing with this is that they appear to be kind of going back to the well of just having like the terror dogs and Gozer again. 
Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, like I didn't notice this, but a bunch of people pointed out like a at the beginning of the trailer, it's like Finn and a bunch of kids go up to the go to a mine to hang out, and the mine is a Shandor Mining Company, which is a reference to Ivo Shandor, the guy who made the apartment building in the first one. Oh, well, we already know that they're referencing the shit out of the original, so it might just be a reference. Yeah, but then later in the trailer, when Paul like Paul Rudd's running from a monster, and we see a terror dog leg like crush the hood of his car. I'm gonna re- I'm gonna retain hope. Yeah, me too. Honestly, like, like this movie looks, this movie looks like something interesting and entertaining and fun, and it also looks like it's not trying to just be Ghostbusters again. Which honestly, if they're gonna fucking do this because they don't have any creativity in Hollywood, this is the way to do it. Yeah. Uh, and then speaking of no creativity, but kind of looking forward to Lock and Key. Slock and Key is a comic book series that I have espoused the glory of many a time over on the comics podcast. Have not, I have yet to actually manage to get uh, get around to reading. I really enjoy it. And there has been, and the people, and the Joe Hill and a bunch of other like producers uh, have been trying to get this motherfucker made into something for years. And now it is actually happening. Netflix uh, has officially released a, has officially said that on February 7th, the Lock and Key series will be premiering on Netflix. Woo! Yep, it is a for realsies thing. Uh, they released a like motion poster of it, which showed one of the kids. I'm assuming Bode uh, using the brain key. Or sorry, not the, not the brain key. I think it's the mind key. I don't remember the exact name, but it's a key that you put in the back of your neck, and then it opens up your head, and then people can like people see a visual representation of your thoughts. It can actually like pick stuff out of your own brain that can manipulate your personality and memories. In the books, this was taken. This was used by Kinsey to remove her own fear and self doubt, which then made her into kind of a sociopath. Cool. Yeah. Walking key is really good, and it gave me, I think, a. Um, it gave me, I think, a inflated idea of Joe Hill's writing. Because I've tried reading two of his books and they've both been really bad. Like his actual like novels. One of them is a 700-page um, YA book about a woman falling in love with a magic fireman in an apocalypse where everyone gets like fucking sick tribal tats and bursts into flames. And then Horns okay. has and then Horns has one of the dumbest like exchanges of dialogue I have ever read. Where upon discovering a revelatory piece of information, the main character just goes e like not prompted, just just kind of in in quotation marks, capital E seven times. Period. Move on. It was hilarious. Anywho, uh, does it for news, new releases, stuff. Uh, so this week, there are movies. Shockingly, I guess. Uh, so first up, uh, Jumanji, the next level, the sequel to the last Jumanji sequel. Is it bad that it surprisingly looks like it might be entertaining? Uh, that's kind of what the first one ended up being. 
for a lot of people, so not really. But hey, some actual surprising thing. This there are apparently rumors going around this might be Jack Black's last film. No. He is getting older. Yeah. No. Like I said, they're just rumors right now. Nothing like actually confirmed, I don't think. But anyway. Uh, also coming out uh, this week, the second remake of Black Christmas. There was a remake of Black Christmas? Yes, it was bad. This one, just because it is trying to be Black Christmas, looks potentially worse. Because they appear to be going, at least from what I've seen of the trailer, uh, a bit more like female empowerment, raw, raw kind of thing. But nothing against that. Black Christmas is a slasher movie where everyone dies. It is harrowing. It is not. It is not the end of death proof. Uh, another movie coming out this week that I don't really want to talk about because it'll just make Caveman more sad. Yay! And then next week, week December twentieth, we have Rise of Skywalker. That also makes me more sad. Okay, I. The new movies have been on a downward spiral. Okay. Like, I agree that, like, most of the new shit has been shit. Um, I think the Clone Wars cartoon was good. I like Rebels. Like, I, I love that, uh, show. I enjoyed, um, what was it? Rogue One. Um, and I like the video games that don't have Unleashed in the title. <laughs> But, and while while I am a huge fan of the Star Wars lore and all that shit, the movies have been bad since the first three finished. Like, and the honestly, the like the first two were the good ones. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, and also coming out this week is Cats. Now that's a horror story. Yeah, that's. I have known about cats for my entire life, I think. I don't know what it's about. Like I've like I've known that cats the musical has existed for fucking as, as, about as long as I've been alive. Like I have, I have known about its existence, but I have never had a desire or like even accidentally found out any character names or what it was about. Even when I have been told cats character names, I didn't know I there were them. actual characters in cats. I think there are. There's a YouTube channel that I watch uh, like Funhouse. Have you heard of it? I've heard of it, yes. Yeah, it's, I, I don't mean to go. I don't mean to sound like some pretentious thing. It's like he doesn't. I'm not. I don't. I don't know how much YouTube he watches, so I don't know. Fucking bit. Yeah, Funhouse. They've been doing a bit, basically, of just like I don't know if it's an actual bit or like just. Or I think I'm pretty sure it's a bit where one of the guys on the channel, James, has is like obsessed with cats. So it's just a bit whenever they talk about cats, it's like, oh yeah, we're getting a new countdown to cats as part of the cats channel. 
and like they get they get like super into it and just start talking about different character different cats characters and I don't know if that's the joke or what I the cats is dumb I know nothing about it and I think and I think I can safely say it's dumb especially given that fucking trailer Ugh, Jesus. Anyway. That's it for this week. Thank you all for joining us. Bit of low energy there at the end and in the middle, not the beginning. <laughs> hey, at least we finished for once. Yeah, yeah, we did. Oh, this. Between my technical issues and that Star Wars thing. Oh, I feel weird getting out of this show. Yeah, we'll play Borderlands tomorrow and feel better. Yeah. Anyway, that's going to do it. Uh, thank you for joining us. We'll be back in 2020. Because well, I forgot to mention, this was the last show of the year. Hopefully we'll be back in 2020. The last movies show of the year. Uh, next week, um, we got games. The last games of the year. And then also, Nico's coming back uh, for a off week so that we can discuss doomsday clock in its entirety. Oh, but yeah, until that stuff, I'm dead. And I'm cave. We'll see you guys next time. Goodbye. Have a wonderful time. <laughs>